Hello everyone, this is Mirko Guerrini and I welcome you to the Jazz Transcription Clinic, a monthly interviews podcast where we talk with accomplished jazz doctors about their lives, career and their personal secrets on the art of transcribing. If you want to improve at jazz, stay tuned and follow the Jazz Transcription Clinic on the socials for more content. I acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast is being recorded. I pay my respects to their elders, past and present, and the Aboriginal elders of other communities who may be here today. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Jazz Transcription Clinic podcast. Uh, today's guest doctor is uh, a good friend of mine uh, and I'm so happy to have this guy here today because we, uh, we have to go back in history quite a lot given that I'm 277 years old. We are talking about at least two centuries ago where the young, he was already young back then. Uh, he, uh, I don't know the reasons, maybe I will ask you, but um, he started following me and asking a lot of questions. Uh, most of the times related to music, some other times related to life in general. And uh, I was smart enough to not provide any specific suggestion for life, maybe for music a couple. And then one day he presented himself at my place in, in Florence uh, and put in front of me a sheet of music. And I said, what is that? And he said, is it transcription that I made? Oh, cool. Who's that? Who's the artist? And he said, it's you. And that day, uh, we stopped our friendship for, for almost ever. No, I'm kidding. But uh, I think this guy here is the only one who has ever transcribed one of my solos. And luckily enough, he stopped after that first one. <laughs> so nobody else has ever tried or dared to try it. Uh, so, guest doctor for today is the one and only Giulio Cadmassi. And Giulio is an extraordinary musician, an extraordinary artist. Uh, he lives in Los Angeles uh, since 2003 uh, now. And he's uh, very, very active as a musician, as a composer. His uh, main activity at the moment is to write for the film industry and he can probably talk and explain a little bit. Uh, it would be interesting to, to see and to know whether uh, transcribing is of any help for someone who is writing music for, for films. But beside this activity, um, extraordinary qualities of Giulio has brought him to uh, get several degrees like a piano degree, a degree for um, sound engineer and a degree in film scoring and but as well as a very very prolific live activity that has uh, seen him performing with La Creme de la Creme of the world jazz uh, with artists uh, such as Steve Gadd, Willie, 
Pat Metheny, Chris Potter, Antonio Sanchez, and many, many, many others that maybe Julio will like to share with us. So thanks a lot, Julio. It's really a privilege and a pleasure, of course, to have you here. I feel a little bit more back at home. It's a bit weird to talk in English to you because usually we like to talk in, in a really deep and dirty Tuscan accent. But um, today, you know, for the sake it's, it's of... It's like we have, to, we have to play with a MIDI instrument that doesn't bend the notes, like uh, the same solo, but we're just doing it with like, like quantized in English. Or it doesn't vibrate. You know, the way you want to. <laughs> well, now, you now you're offering other metaphors now. You can try to, to shake the keyboard, but usually it doesn't uh, make any sense. Thank you for having me. No, it, it's a real pleasure. It's a real pleasure. And uh, so, do you want to add anything to my poor presentation? Uh, the, the only thing I would add is that when I met you, I, I met you at the time when you were in a quartet, uh, which I don't believe has ever recorded a record. It was with Stefano Battaglia, Palino della Porta, and uh, Paolo Corsi, perhaps? I, there I was, uh, at the beginning, there was uh, Roberto Gatto. Oh, okay. Playing okay. with us. And then I think Roberto... From the trio, I guess, because Stefano had the yeah. trio with Roberto and Paulino. So for, for all the listeners, uh, Stefano Battaglia is a great jazz Italian pianist who has recorded uh, many albums with ECM uh, records and also the, the Splash label in Italy. And I was a student of him and then he asked me to join his uh, quartet, his band. Uh, and, I, but, and I don't remember how I heard you guys the first time. I don't remember what the the thing was. Maybe it was Siena Jazz that you guys did a gig there when when uh, Stefano was teaching. I don't know what happened, but I remember the time. I must have been like 16 probably because that's when the, I started orbiting around the Siena Jazz world. And, uh, I, you know, it, it was... Uh, I come from a relatively small town from a non-music-loving non family. There was no jazz in my family. And any music uh, like uh, written past uh, 1800 was considered like blasphemy and like, uh, you know, the equivalent of sex, drug and rock and roll. Uh, even if it was like Ravel was like too risque. And, uh, and so... I, I was like all of a sudden shifting to this new world where the sounds and notes and chords were beautiful and like I didn't know they existed. It was literally this uh, coming into like uh, a, a new form of awareness of the world could be good musically and 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 and, and expanded and wide and leading and uh, you know and uh, and I just remembered the experience of hearing you guys. Uh, and uh, and it was this sort of like coming home thing where all of a sudden it was like oh oh this makes sense this this is uh, I, I I can turn off my brain and just like set like feel this in as as if it was some version of something I had thought and now my thoughts were being played back to me by these gentlemen on stage. Yeah, and I, I think there is a common trait here that I can see. Because also Stefano Battaglia comes 
from classical music and classical music has been my background as well. So uh, we were probably a bunch of musicians who translated from classical music into modern improvised music. And uh, it was harmonically incredibly rich. If you think about Stefano's songs are always this sort of circle of harmony where there's like a crazy key change, a major third away that then goes back. But it sounds like it's it's flowy. It doesn't sound forced in any way. But when you go, I remember when Stefano gave me some charts for the first time, I was like, whoa, like, uh, and, and, and I guess even then, you know, especially at the time when I was still very new to the jazz language, uh, it must have been very... It just felt like alchemy and 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 like a shaman doing something. I don't understand exactly what you guys are doing. I know it's beautiful, but I'm trying to enter this discourse that is uh, still a little murky. Like if when I go home and I try to do it, it doesn't quite come out this way. But I know it's right. I know you guys are right and I'm wrong, but I'm trying to understand what's the bridge that leads me there. And, and you specifically had this, you know, I don't, I, it's hard to describe music in words because music has this capacity of being pre-verbal, of being uh, spiritual in a way. And so almost when you describe it, it, it loses what, what it really is communicating. But there's a transcendental quality to the capacity that, that I perceived from you when you were soloing, but even when you were playing a long note, you know, you can tell a story by playing a long note and inflecting the pitch and inflecting the tone in a certain way or playing that note 20 milliseconds later behind the beat or ahead of the beat. Every decision is a story that like you can tell a musician general direction within the first three, four seconds of when they grab an instrument. It's like, oh, I get it. Like you're seeking that thing. And whatever it is that you were seeking, it, it spoke to me in um, like you were you were uh, answering a question I had in my mind. Like you were giving me a solution. You were uh, um, telling me like, look, come here. Like, there's a door here that leads outside where the sun is. And and so I was immediately sort of like you know like a, like a spirited animal in the, in the in the woods with you playing the the, the flute and I, I was like oh I'll follow I'll like whatever you say I want to know where you go yeah and 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 the other beautiful thing is that you guys really I mean you know uh, I'm sure I was impressionable but I mean you know I, I had still like several I already played five instruments by the time I met you guys I already you know was a fairly cl like classically proficient musician I, I wasn't like my first year or anything but you guys had a capacity also of really blending together really well there, there didn't seem to be sometimes you can put the best musicians in the world in the same room and they just happen not to want to go to the same door. And so individually, they're incredible. This sounds amazing and it's incredibly boring. You guys didn't have that. You guys felt really like committed to the same discovery. Um, and you were all very sensitive, romantic musician, I guess, at heart. There was yeah. a sense of, uh, of everybody was looking for that, like, unspeakable place it didn't feel like oh let me show you what i can do there there was never a sense of like cleverness not as in it was dumb but in a sense of like <laughs> nobody was trying to show off that like haha you didn't think i was gonna go there it felt very like just honest honest and beautiful and just 
direct. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Thank you. But let's let's go back to you, which is uh, at this time more important. Um, one thing I forgot to mention in the introduction is that Giulio is a multi-instrumentalist. And when I say multi-instrumentalist, <laughs> I really mean it. So usually I introduce myself if I send a CV out, I define myself a multi-instrumentalist. But if I compare uh, to Giulio, I'm just a beginner, a first-year student. Because Giulio, you have to guys check him out because he can really play basically everything. And now I, I would like to dive a little bit into the topic, of course, of the podcast, which is uh, transcribing and, and the art of transcription, because I think is related to uh, your specific ability to take something in your hands that can produce a sound and make some music out of it which is a, a, a quite rare gift that few people have. You know, I can I'm also self-taught, so like I, I also yeah. like my approach to every instrument has always been uh, um, to sort of touch them until they made us, until they reacted in some way, as we were just like talking about last week, how to this day I'm like, oh, there's that B-flag here. How nice. <laughs> Yeah, and, and make me very upset and jealous and feel that uh, it, it's too unfair, you know, that you, you can play the saxophone with a gorgeous sound and you don't see yourself as a saxophone player. <laughs> you know? I don't see so, myself as a performer, even in, in, in some bizarre way i i don't think of it as that i'm just like i'm trying to listen to good music and the quickest way sometimes to do it is to overdub myself and to be proficient enough to be able to create certain textures but that's always the goal is that i need to hear that so i like I, I come up with an idea in my head and i since i was a child i was like damn it i need to do this long note i just heard this ECM record and I need to take a tenor and a trumpet and octave, put some reverb and do this long note that is always the same and the chords change underneath. And the the only way the quickest way to find that solution in Pisa in like 1995 with not a single musician among my friends was like just grab the damp saxophone, you figure it out. Yeah. Yeah, which is, you know, also it it could be seen as an arrogant act, right? You, you listen to, I don't know, uh, John Simon playing Barry saxophone, and you say, yeah, I want to do it. And everyone yeah, else I, could I, go... I, I, assume it, I assume it is. I mean, think about the fact of, of me even thinking about being Matheny's multi-instrumentalist. I mean, I don't know what could be more arrogant. I mean, what could be more... Uh, uh, daring, I guess, as a, as a multi instrumentalist, I'd be like, oh yeah, I, I could. And I was air playing instruments before I knew how to play them to Pat's records when I was 12. Like, and I would think, like, oh yeah, and then I would do that, and then I would, da, 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 da. and you know, and at the time, uh, even the thought that I, that, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, but the thing is, uh, 
I was uh, uh, cursed by the fact that it was easy because I started improvising on the piano within a month or two that I didn't know how to read music. I, I learned how to play the piano before knowing how to read the music, basically. And uh, I didn't know any technique of trumpet saxophone, but I would just sort of take them and something would happen. And I would have like a little four, four track cassette recorders and I would play. And to my ears uh, as a 13 year old or something, it sounded good enough. And so it just sort of seemed like, yeah, of course. I, it was more like, why doesn't anybody, everybody do this? Like, this is so nice and fun. Like, obviously you should be doing this. Why would you just play one instrument? That's insane. So obviously you had a very sad childhood <laughs> <laughs> and lonely, right? Actually, fun fact that I spent the, like my entire elementary school in a hospital bed with like IVs, uh, for like a blood disease because wow. my blood wouldn't coagulate. So I didn't really go to elementary school much because I, I, they were trying, they didn't know what was happening, but basically I was constantly almost dying. And then they would give me this like big transfusion to stuff to keep me alive. And then at one point, you know, I went to every doctor in Italy and every five seconds I became like in all the different corners of Italy, tried to find the, the new expert. And nobody knew what to do, or they would do something and it would like last for like a, a month and then it would go down again. And then finally I took my splint away when I was like 10 or so. And and since then I've been all right. But that that was uh, that was sort of like my preparation to get into music in a way. And I, and I think it was very fundamental also in this sense of like, oh yeah, I can overcome that. Like, like it's fine. Like, yeah, it's hard, but it's no big deal. I'll figure it out. So this is my mistake. You know, I went to elementary schools, <laughs> to, to primary think, schools, and then... And get this, I dropped out of school when I was 14. So I effectively only done truly middle school in my entire life. So another, I don't have a high school another mistake on my account. <laughs> I mean, I have the, the conservatory diploma as a pianist, but I don't have a, an actual normal high school diploma. Yeah. It doesn't seem that it had a bad impact on you <laughs> no, at I, all. I think I was much better for it. So, Julio, there is one question that I always ask to my guests uh, in this podcast, and is why do you transcribe? Um, there are, uh, th my main focus in transcription throughout my life has been harmony and voicings, uh, more than, than, than single lines. The single lines have also been part of it, but the, the, the more interesting quests I've done have been, I remember one of the first things I did, there was this beautiful co concert of Michel Petrucciani at uh, the Champs-Élysées. Um, it's a double concert that he does a piano solo. I, Peter Chani is, is one of the, 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 the musicians I probably saw live the most other than, well, Pat now for, for work reasons. Uh, but uh, I, I just, I, I couldn't get enough. And he had, uh, to, my, to my ears, the, when, I was, when I was really young, this really like, tight chords, these clusters, these like five, six parts harmony where almost all the notes of the chords are played. And it's this beautiful, crunchy sound. And, um, and I, I just couldn't figure it out. And I remember one of my first quests was like, I need to know. And, and honestly, I think a lot of the voicings I use to this day 
derive from me trying to get to what he was doing. I, I don't think I I don't think I've ever heard something that quite topped that until I I find out uh, about Klaus Ogerman. Are you familiar with Klaus Ogerman, the yep. Avenger? Sure. Um, he he started like uh, one of his biggest achievements originally was to like work with Jobim and work uh, on, on his records uh, and then Sinatra, but then he worked with Barbara Streisand and did yeah. a lot of that. But he also had his own career where he was going a little more uh, uh, polychords and, and horizontal harmony where he will do these things where there's just six voices going on at the same time and a bass line. And the concept of chords starts shifting more into this horizontal thing of retardandos and uh, and and apoggiaturas, uh, and, uh, and uh, that would be uh, probably my the, the pinnacle of like what I what I try to get. He does this thing often where he has a minor second uh, at the top voice of an orchestration, and. and to my brain, it was like, wait, no, you can't do that, and and and, but you can, and it's incredible. And uh, he, he he always puts his minor seconds as the most like uncomfortable place, and they work, and they're beautiful. And 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 another actually agent that that brought me there was uh, uh, I want to say. I want to say it was Pierre Nunzi. I think uh, during a class of Siena Jazz, uh, he started talking about the concept of never repeating the same note in, in a two-hand chord on the piano. So like to kind of see, okay, well, you already played this note on the left hand, so you shouldn't play on the right hand as well. Uh, and that also has to this day been like the thing I think of any time that I put my hands down like uh, the piano or, or I try to harmonize something like to never do octaves of anything or double unless it's a melody. I, it always seems that what I'm looking for is to always have one more note of the scale and as many other notes of the scale as wide as I can seem to always get to this like magical horizontal place anyway in terms of transcription so one thing one thing was was the voicings on the piano the other thing is that when i started uh doing youtube videos which um i, I guess around 2007 uh my mom told me uh, i i had done some i had done some small videos of me playing bass and piano and drums for the first time it was not something i had ever done and cameras were sort of still not you know, YouTube wasn't a thing back then. It was still sort of like a nerdy thing. Nobody looked at. And my mom told me like, wow, I could really realize that you can play all those instruments. When I listen to your recording, I don't think about it that way. It just sounds like a record. But now that I can see it, it's like, it just grabs my attention. I was like, even my mom doesn't understand that I play like 10 instruments. And that led me to like, what if I tried to do something else? And and so I I, I did Spain. And then, and then at one point, uh, uh, anyway, um, s s someone told me to like, um, I had some conversation with someone that was working with Madonna at the time, some big shot manager, and he was one of the many infinite people that told me to give up something. Like, I've been told to give up playing saxophone and trumpet because you cannot have a double embrasure. They, I've been told to not sing because I didn't have a good voice. I've been told I, every, every time along the way, you can be a multi-instrumentalist. Why don't you just focus on piano? You can't. Why are you moving to America? Why are you doing this? Why? It was just that every, every Everywhere I look, everybody for the past 25 years has told me I shouldn't do or I couldn't do something. 
But in this case, it must have pissed me off enough because I decided to do a couple of show off videos and uh, three videos. I came out, I'm going to do three. I'm going to do Bohemian Rhapsody where I sing all the parts, which took time. And then uh, I'm going to do a Muse song uh, where I play guitar. I didn't play guitar whatsoever. So I had to kind of like, as a bass player, learn uh, this part that was particularly difficult and singing. And I wasn't a singer. I still am not. Uh, but, uh, and then I decided I would do a Breaker Brothers song. I was like, what can I do? Like, what's a song that is just like F you song for a... And I was, and I, and there was this this song from Back to uh, Back to Back to Back, maybe Back to Back. I think this is called the album uh, uh, that is called uh, Slick Stuff. Um, and I was like, I'm just gonna do this. I don't know how long it's gonna take me. I'm just gonna learn this. And once I entered that place, I realized I had no clue how they were harmonizing. Like there's this alto trumpet and saxophone doing all this, all these like very staccato, very quick arpeggios, but the sound didn't sound like my, I, I was just like, I don't know what this is. This does not sound like something that my brain registered. It was like, oh, I try it or, oh yeah, it's like a sixth. I, and I, at the time, thanks to technology, I took the, the song in Pro Tools, I slow it down three or four times. And then I looped like the same chord that was like, pa, 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 and kept trying different voicings until I realized that they were doing essentially a fourth with like a, a, a minor second at the bottom. So like say like D, E flat and G, like that kind of position before that would be sort of like a, a minor nine chord on the right hand type of vibe. And they were just doing the entire melody harmonized that way. So everybody that the alto would be always sandwiched in the middle, the tenor would be at the bottom and Randy would be doing the high note and they would do a full melody, all of that one shape. And of course, after I realized that the first three were their way, I was like, oh, okay, I, I see what they're doing. It's like a, it's like an effect, it's like a pedal before there were pedals in, in, in some way. And in fact, if you think about it, uh, uh, Mike Breaker kept that sort of idea later on in Steps Ahead, used a lot of the harmonization where he would have one harmony and he would solo with the harmony throughout. Yeah. And I guess it came probably from all that time in, in the Breaker Brothers doing that in real time with real players. And the other funny thing is that in that case, uh, uh, Will was playing bass on that track. I This was like a decade before I met Will. But uh, but he knew me before I met him through that video. In any case, uh, so the transcription has come in handy for when I when I've been trying to copy others uh, for the videos uh, because for many years uh, I it, it, that would definitely was the quest. Is like there was all these beautiful things I've heard in my life, and I would like to have the experience of doing them. It feels good to hear "Night Sprite" by Chikoria and do it and then when i done it and i listen to myself do it it feels like i won over death i can fly i can do this other thing that i couldn't do before and there's no way to do that without i mean i don't know there might be some geniuses that don't need to transcribe that and sit down and figure out what they're doing but it just requires the time to like yeah pushing your brain things that your brain doesn't normally do if now i heard a thing 
that sounds like the Breaker Brothers, my brain might not need to transcribe it because I'm now trained to like, oh yeah, that's the sound. I know what that sound is. But at the time, I have no clue. Mm. And so every time there's something new, I don't know what it is, that's the time to go back. And do you have a, a specific methodology that you use, like a, a sort of routine that you apply? For example, I like, if I have the time, if I don't want to like transcribe a solo from start to end and I have I don't know two hours to dedicate right. but if I'm free it's a, it's a long-term project what I like to do is like to copy uh, one chorus of the solo like 10 times and that's one track and then I copy, copy 10 times I, like... I use for example logic or any other software yeah. To edit, I cut the first chorus and I copy and paste ten keep times. To keep looping the same. Yeah. Chorus. So and then I put it in my phone, and I keep listening to that chorus like ten times in a row, and I start singing along. So it requires few days, but you know, after a few days, I get the first chorus, and another few days, I get the second chorus, and let's say. Like in three weeks, four weeks, I get the full solo, right? And I can sing it. So before I even right. try to play it, I just memorize it. Interesting. And that sounds really beautiful to like really like internalize them. Yeah, because uh, okay, this is the real topic of of uh, this podcast. But everyone has his own methodology you know and all the past guests have already demonstrated that you can do it however you like it mm -hmm. uh, my methodology comes from the teaching that Dave Liebman uh, taught me you know you have to first be able to sing it mm. so I started singing lines singing phrases and and then I understood that actually uh, the concept is that when you sing it, it means that the sound has gone through your head and has, you know, deposited there somewhere, is stored in your head. Mm -hmm. And so if you are able to recall the sound because you, you, you can sing it, so you, you are able to recall the sound of that line, then to play it is quick. It's very right, quick. Right. And also... There is another advantage that pays back the long time that it took me to memorize that when I go to play, I already know all the nuances and inflections that are made right. that are making that musician unique. You know, because if I'm learning Sonny Rollins, of course, I would articulate in a different way if I'm Instead, I don't know, working on uh, Young Garberic, for example. For sure. So those things that doesn't come on, on, a, on a paper and are so difficult, if not impossible, to write down, it's better to memorize. And once you have it, I know exactly the sound of that note that, you know, Sonny Rollins plays on Tenor Madness. Right. Uh, or Young Garbrek on, on Prisma, that I know it's one of your favorite tracks. And I can try to recreate that sound on the horn. 
because I already know. It, it's interesting. Well, there's there's two aspects to that. One is that, of course, because my focus a lot is on chords, it it would be hard to sing the the voicings, and so in that sense, it would be. Uh, but the other thing is that uh, I think most of the things that I end up wanting to transcribe are things I have already listened to hundreds of times. Like uh, it, or, or rather, it's it's uh, it takes me a while normally to decide that something has reached the place of like I must know exactly what this is, uh, and and to get by the time I, my brain has decided that I've listened to that song so many times that I could sing it before I start transcribing, but maybe a couple of things I'm like, wait, what is he doing that? Is that a chromatic scale? Is he doing like a semi-diminished and then a half a chromatic thing? And what, wait, is it that? Uh, um, but uh, it also though brings back uh, in, in backwards another part of the transcription that I've always like been interested in, which is and maybe we go back to the theme of arrogance, but I like to transcribe myself improvising with my voice. Like if I am seeking something that I can't quite like, let's say that I, there's a piece and I'm like doing a solo, I'm like, ah, this is this is okay, but it just doesn't feel that inspired. Like That's, the instrument is is stopping me from doing what I would want to do. I'm I'm doing what the instrument makes makes it easy to do, but I'm not doing what I want to do, which is not what the instrument is letting me do. That's not arrogant unless you know you publish it on a book and you sell it as you know how to improvise <laughs> or the ultimate solos. Uh, as the, there are people on the web that are doing yeah. that, and <laughs> I don't know how they can fall asleep at night, actually. <laughs> but I, but I find it interesting. It saved it. I, I, I've saved it in two ways. One thing is that it definitely brought new life to something I was trying to do on a track where I would just take the mic, sing something, nothing, just turn off my brain and just like, what would you, blah, 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 and then go back and relearn myself. Like, what did I do that? Oh, interesting. And I've learned things up to the, about instruments by like copying what I did with my voice. Yes. The things that I wouldn't normally do that like might be uncomfortable with the, with that particular instrument. It was like, oh, but that's so nice on that instrument. To me, you know, with, with the saxophone, for example, uh, one key point for me was to try to change my sound. I had phases in my life, right? Mm. And I still have. But, you know, when you are young, you're a teenager, you tend to uh, idolatrize people. You know, you, you listen to a player and you say, oh, gosh, I, I want to sound like him. And saxophone right? is truly... A chameleon of sounds yeah. and lends itself so much. So I remember that uh, a common friend that we have, a wonderful drummer, Andrea Milani, uh -huh. he was my uh, private uh, vinyl pusher. You know, he was lending <laughs> me a lot of vinyls. Uh, and one day he told me, Mirko, you need to check this guy out. And he gave me a copy of Fish Out of Water by Chas Lloyd. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Okay. And I never heard Chas Lloyd before. 
So I put on this, this record and I hear this sound, which is not a sound that you would expect in a jazz album from a tenor saxophone. It was something different. It was a mixture of flute, a mixture of uh, traditional Indian instruments of some sort. And then I started, you know, experimenting. I, it didn't even came to my mind, oh, I should change mouthpiece, I should change read. It, it was clear to me that the sound is here. And right. it's also clear that you, you can never reach someone else's sound because of the you know, physical conformation. Your physical features are <clears throat> your sound. But I realized that by moving my upper teeth a lot forward on the mouthpiece, I could reach that fluty sound on the top notes, on the palm notes. Now, probably it's, it's really called the instrument, but... You know, it's a post-Coltranian guy, but it's, it's no more related. Charles Lloyd has his own story now, his own, you Absolutely. know, uh, sonic print. But realizing that was, was a revelation for me, was, wow, I can get close to that sound. I can get that color if I want. And that's the other key. You know, when students reply to me, oh, but, you know, I don't want to transcribe because I don't want to sound like someone else. And I say, no, that's wrong. It's not wanting to sound like someone else, but it's like being able to have that color. And maybe you don't like that color, so you will never use it, but you know how to do it. And when you transcribe, you also get a lot of the technical stuff. I remember mm -hmm. my first jazz teacher, Maurizio Gianmarco, uh, he told me, and <laughs> it's funny because last year uh, at the university here, at the Monash University here in Melbourne, uh, there was a workshop with uh, um, Brentford Marsalis. Mm -hmm. And he told a very similar story. So Maurizio Gianmarco, my teacher, gave me a Lester Young solo to transcribe. I said, do it. And I do it. I didn't do too well. It was one of the first solos. And then there was the note D on the tenor. And my teacher went, no, that's not right. And I said, no, that's right. It's a... And I said, no, that's not right. Do you hear the sound? It's not right. I said, oh, come on, are you kidding me? I think he was pulling my leg, right? Uh -huh. and, and then in the end, he told me, listen, you know, you, Lester plays the second D opening the side keys. Five. So the pitch might be the same, but the sound is not the same. And Brentford told the same story that he gives some students solos with the side D open and 
he keeps telling them that is wrong until they discover themselves. So my teacher was a little bit nicer because he told me in the end. But then, you know, I started transcribing like Michael Brecke, and I realized oh, he does that, it on every note of that Michael Brecke was doing a combination of the two. So he was doing the traditional D fingering with the octave key and opening. And then adding. You know, to get that nasal honk sound that he sometimes like. Right? Which is completely different from. So you have three different Ds. But you, you never realize it if you keep reading music. You only realize it when you try to, oh, no, no, this is not the right sound. No, this is not how it does it. This is not, you know, and all the false fingering, etc., etc. So to me, transcription is always a journey into diving deep, deeper and deeper and deeper into uh, sound colors. For sure. I mean, in, in, in that sense, also, the transcription for me is, is, uh, is transcribing arrangements. It's like I, I spent years like looking into like what, what, what instrument combination was used by Vince Mendoza and like this or that other part. What are the violas doing? Why are they doing that? Are they divisive? Uh, what could, how could I change that? Could I mimic that with a synth? Like this, the sonic. I mean, as an arranger brain, to me, an engineer also, like the sound is is really ninety nine percent of why I listen yeah. to a record. Like the notes are cool, and uh, I would say it's the sound, then the harmony, and then last. Do I really care about the actual like, eh, the notes? And and even later about i when i do transcriptions of of uh, melodies anything that is horizontal i never even write the the, the value of the, of the note like mm -hmm. when if you see something i transcribe they're just dots yeah. on the pentagram <laughs> and then i know the solo but like i i don't like to look at divisions of notes i just i i will do a cluster this is a phrase this is a melodic phrase then there's another cluster of black dots, and there's another black, and then I'll figure it out, or I'll, I'll listen to what the record is doing. But I don't like the idea of thinking like, oh, those are two eights, and then there's like a, like a dotted no, that just, I, I, I never heard a single jazz record where any note sounds remotely like it's an actual quantized bell. I mean, it's everything is constantly slightly off, and that is what makes it good and if anybody tried to and that's why yeah you see somebody that transcribed in a more specific like modern classical way and it's like oh no i mean yeah i guess technically those are the notes but absolutely not like that that does not yeah. carry home and would you mind julio telling me a little bit, I'm interested in, in hearing from you. I never asked you, but I remember the first time I saw that video that you made when you play all the instruments on the Padmithini song. On the first circle one. Yes. yes. Uh, which, by the way, is one of my favorite, you know, Padmithini group songs for, you know, the, the rhythmic features, the fact that the melody has a lot to do with uh, my personal 
you know, melodic taste, it really resonates a lot with me, always had. And when I saw that video, first I thought you were crazy, and then I hated you, because I, <laughs> I, I sincerely thought you were incredible, you were amazing, you know. Thank so, tell me a little bit the story, and of course, tell us, you know, what the outcome in the end has been. <laughs> Um, well, but... the, the way that the way that that thing started is that uh, I'll I'll do the quickest backstory. So, um, uh, first of all, I, I I bought when I when I was eleven, I bought my first jazz record. My my piano teacher Vincenzo Magia up in Pisa. Um, uh, Played for me, so, someone to watch over uh, me uh, on the piano one day after the first six months that I was like not studying a single note of classical music and hating it and like the testing that I had to play the piano. He played this thing, changed my life, got into jazz uh, and decided to go to the store, I think somewhere and and bought random records from the way they cover the cover looked like there was no specific reasons i just like maybe somebody told me something but it was just very random and one of the three records that i bought was watercolors by by pat uh, that has this like beautiful ecm because ecm's covers are just amazing and uh, and i and i saw that and i bought it so it was very i i as long as i've known jazz i've listened to pat's music so of course and i saw the famous uh, vhs that came out in the 90s where they're doing like the, they often do this the live by controlled live environment uh, uh, where 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 there's that maybe one of the most famous version of for circle yeah. uh, uh, where the, you you see Lyle uh, live on camera doing the piano solo and it's just this this euphoric joyful moment of music and uh, I think I I still have the 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 VHS. But I think so. The road to you, the VHS. Yeah. Pause. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of it is recorded actually in Italy, if I'm correct. I think a lot of yeah, the dates. Yeah, it's it's in Europe, mainly in Europe. Yes. Uh, because I guess they did a, a a vinyl CD that was recordings, and then they did the the VHS, which is slightly different performances from the tour. Which is what we did too. At the end of the tour, we went to like a black box theater and we redid the the the, the program of the concert, the three hour, but on camera. And so mm -hmm. it is live, but it isn't technically a date from the tour. It's at the end of 160 shows mm -hmm. that we just like got in the room and, and did. That. But um, so anyway, I've always known Pat, loved Pat, uh, listened to Third Circle. Uh, it never occurred to me to do it uh, like because it seemed impossible, honestly, to do it. And because I really can't play the guitar for if my life depends on it. It's like everybody plays guitar but me. But I just like my hands are used to play bass. And when I see the little frets on the guitar, I just like I get claustrophobic and I can't think. But... Uh, one day I was already friends with Wooly in New York and I was talking with Wooly's wife and uh, uh, 
I told her that someone had written me on Facebook saying that he had heard that Pat was looking for a multi-instrumentalist and that I should like get in touch with Ted Curlin, his manager in, the, in Boston. And I thought as a joke, it's like, yeah, I'm going to write to Pat. Come on, let's get, let's get real here. And, um, and I said it as a joke to Will's wife. Without knowing that Will's wife was uh, was best friend, a really good friend with Pat's wife. And so I got into the subway. I did the train from Manhattan to Brooklyn, going back home. I got out of the subway. My phone got reception again. And I found uh, uh, a link, uh, uh, a text from uh, from Sandrine that was like, oh, I'm going to write to like Pat's wife and like let him, let him know that you're amazing, that you guys should jam. I was like, what? And even then I thought like, yeah, fine. I mean, like, sure. Like, it's going to be like, it's going to be polite and it's going to be all it is. So I didn't think twice of it. I went to sleep and the morning after I woke up and there was an email from Sandrine again, forwarding me, forwarding me the email from Pat. I was like, oh my God, this guy is amazing. We should jet. And I remember just like throwing the blanket out of the bed and just. <laughs> but at, and, at, uh, at, at the so time I mean, you already had the video done. No, at this point, I had not done the video. First of all, I had some, I had the Breaker Brothers done. I had okay. a few of the other videos done that were sent to him, but I had not done the first circle. So then time passes. Finally, I am invited to his house, beautiful penthouse on Central Park. And, you know, I'm trapped, basically shaking. And... Uh, uh we we jam a little bit i think uh, or maybe we just talked that day i don't remember really if we jammed the first we must have jammed a little bit maybe but uh but he basically said look i, I you know like uh, long story short basically normally the audition to get into the band is to pay for a circle like we got a guy in like if you can't do the first circle then like you can probably do the rest of the stuff and uh and uh, so just do one of your videos of First Circle. Like, that, that's fine, right? I was like, yeah, sure, no biggie. Like, absolutely. <laughs> now, so it was a commission time, from Pat itself. By the time he asked me, or, or suggested, let's say, I didn't know how to play an acoustic guitar. Like, I could strum a C major. Now, the song opens with this two minutes of very intricate legato things where you have to keep changing the, 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 the fingering where like there's one finger on one string, you have to replace it with other frames without like changing the sustain to access another finger and then do go back and keep doing this while a very intricate right hand. And I didn't know where to begin. It was like somebody asked me to play the violin and I was like, okay, I mean, and uh, I, I had no idea where the notes were on the guitar. I couldn't read the charts on the guitar. I, you know, I knew the first four string as a bassist somewhat. Um, and so I, I asked a good friend of mine, uh, Paolo Schianchi, a wonderful classical guitar player from Padma, now lives in DC in, in the United States. Uh, if you could just give me a couple of primers of like, wh where do I start? What am I doing? And he, God bless his soul, he uh, uh, did the fingering for me. He, he's like a mega genius of the guitar. And he looked at, at the chart because Pat had released a songbook of, uh, of his song. So there was a chart, not of all the parts. There was like, but the beginning of the guitar was there. There wasn't the counterpart of pianos, but like the, the, at least the guitar was there. And so... 
he fingered for me. I was like, okay. And he did it in like 25 minutes. It, it, it literally blew my mind, but he was like in a hotel room in New York. He was visiting for like a night and he was underslept with a jet lag and he sat on the, on the, on the bed in this little baby motel room. I was like, okay. Yeah. And then, ah, oh, no. Yeah. I would do that. Okay. Then you would do that. Then you have to pass it. This Maybe use the thumb and then like, anyway, so I was left with that with a few numbers of the fingering and I went home and I spent 45 days, 10 hours a day with blood coming out of my fingertips doing a bar at a time, a bar for six hours, next bar for six hours, next bar for six hours, go back from the top. Now do the four of them together for like two days. And, uh, and somehow I got to the end of it and then did the video. Uh, and, and then I had to dress the other, the rest of the thing was like a no brainer compared to the to like <laughs> learning guitar. Yes. There's like all these odd bars and yes, there's all these counterpoints of the piano. And yes, I had to sing an impossible buffle part, which took me forever to learn as well, because there's all these super high G's that were out of my range, trying to not shout them, relaxing, Alexander technique or whatnot. And uh, I filmed it, I did it, I sent it to him. And, uh, and I think... For a while, I didn't hear back from him. I think it was the kind of thing where, like, you know, he's a super busy man traveling the world. And uh, sometimes it might be six weeks, eight weeks before the email comes back. And in the meantime, there's all the range of human emotions. Like, he hated it. He thinks I'm horrible. He wants me to die. He'll never answer back to me. I made a fool of myself. How did I dare to do that? And, and then I think like anyway, lawyers looking for you. Exactly. <laughs> and then I think I met him back... Uh, 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 his, uh, his tour manager gave me tickets to go see Marumbrio Jazz when he was playing with the quartet that I would have joined later. And uh, uh, I would, they did, <laughs> this is Italy, but I understand it. But uh, Pat, the uh, manager, was like, come backstage afterwards so you can hang with Pat and say hello. And so they did the arena, I don't remember what it's called, the Santa Pugia. Giuliana. Santa Giuliana. Uh, the show. And then after I went backstage and there were two, two Italian guys at the door and they were like, hey, I'm like just meeting with Pat. I'm like a friend. It's like, yeah, sure. You're, ha, ha, you're of course. And they didn't let me in and there was no way to get in. Yeah. And then I met him later on. I walked back to the hotel where everybody, uh, Marque, something like uh, the hotel at the end of the, the, yeah. the, the grand hotel where everybody stays yeah. this, that, that, can, that, that the Umbria just likes. And uh, and I met him getting out of the, the, the van. And I think he said something again. I sent your first logo to everyone. Everybody loves it. And I, to my brain, it's like, imagine who everyone is when Pat says everyone. It's not like my cousin. And, yeah. <laughs> and uh, but yeah, so and, and, and it was and I made a conscious choice to try to do a very different solo too with the piano because it seemed like unfathomable to even begin to scratch the surface and try to do any type of justice or any, I mean, I just didn't even know how to for manage like emotionally the idea of trying to copy yeah. what Lyle was doing. Yeah, of course. But So I tried to go in a different direction and a little more abstract maybe. Uh, but yeah. So if you do any other sort of transcription, 
uh, which doesn't require 10 hours every day <laughs> to, to play a bar. Um, how do you practice it? Like, how do you uh, get into I'm it? very conservative. It's like slow one bar at a time normally for mm. me. Like, I, I, I just, I like divide and divide and conquer. And, and and start slow and try to speed it up. Like at the end of the day, that seems to be the... Um, and also, I remember this I got from my from my second piano teacher, uh, Rossana Bottai, it was like this fantastical... They, that maybe the only real uh, meth methodic teacher I've had, the one that got me through all the exams of the conservatory. And uh, she was this wonderful sort of grandma figure, but she also had won the Geneva Prize, and she was like a prodigy during the war, and had a duet uh, with uh, with Roberto uh, Michelangeli, and so she, but then became a housewife later on because she was a woman in Italy in the 1950s and whatnot. But uh, she kind of taught me that anything you ever study as 10% uh, of things are worth studying and the rest is, is fluff that you can do with your eyes closed. And so it's no point every time repeating the whole thing to then arrive to the difficult part, uh, to then go through it once and go back to the top and waste all the time. To the thing. And she would just always have this like, you know, everything, whether it was like a Bach prelude or like a Chopin ballad, uh, there'd be something like, okay, this four bars you have to do 60 times every day when you wake up. This for that, and then and I would have this like little diary of twenty parts, and like those you have to do sixty times a day. The rest, eh, you'll figure it out. The rest is fine. Yeah, like this you have to constantly do. And so in that sense, if there's a if I was doing a, a mic breaker thing, and there's like a thing that is like very far away from from what I can do, that that has to be really the only thing that I'm like paying attention to until I can master that. There's no point in me even trying to like and because i'm a multi-instrumentalist and i'm not a virtuoso on instruments and I, I i have more technique on the piano so maybe the piano i can more directly hear a thing like oh yeah it's that thing fine i don't need to study too much but if i hear a trumpet a saxophone or a vocal or a vibraphone part or something that it's hard or a drum part or a bass any of the other instruments there's got there's got to be a thing where like that's out of my comfort zone like that thing I can't I wouldn't just improvise that that I have to study and figure out how to relax my body to hit that thing because it's alien to my brain yeah and it, and, and the funny thing is that it will go back to being alien uh, a week after I I have uh, I have learned it technically maybe not a week but a month after like when I do very difficult videos or I try to replicate difficult things with instruments that are not my first instrument uh, you know because it isn't my first instrument I have to constantly like if I when I was touring with Gad and and Will Lee and we were doing Breaker Brothers tunes I it, it I would constantly have for the month leading to like every day hammer those things down to like bleeding because otherwise my body would have retained like th that level of difficulty and uh, 20 days after the the gig is over and i'm back in brooklyn or back in los angeles uh, i i can't do it to the side i would have to go back and like and i think this is this is true of like a lot of musicians i mean pat when i went to pat uh, on the when we did uh, when we jammed the first time we're doing we did first circle in unison together two guitars and 
he doesn't remember like exactly like everything because it's like a really difficult part and he hasn't played it probably since the last tour so like i assume i don't know much about other musicians brains but i assume it's like decently normal to like not always be on top shape to be able to do every single thing you've ever done (laughs) maybe it happened to me with stefano bollani another stefano uh that few years ago, when we could travel, I went back to Italy and Stefan invited me to play at one of his concerts as a guest. And I just started playing a tune of his that we played probably 15 years back. And not only was surprised, but he told me after the concert that he thought it was like a like something, you know, bad that I did him. Yes, he, he said, why you started that piece? Yes, I, I couldn't remember. But then I said, yeah, but eventually you did. Because those things that it's true that you might not be able to recollect on the spot, but then it's a, it's a place that you have spent so much time on it that is not too hard to like subconscious re- but not too far yeah around. to receive it's like if you go back to the same place where you grew up you know right. you know all the streets you know how to go from here to there and if there's a traffic jam you still remember what is the sideway to get to where you have to go because you know you spend so much time in in right. that thing so to to me it's a little bit the same there there are some solos that I never play but sometimes occasionally if I have to demonstrate you know how to transcribe and what you can achieve to transcribe I occasionally say okay let me show you something and I try to play a solo that I might have transcribed 10 years ago and I might miss yeah a couple of bars but 90% of it is still there. I just have to, you know, open the file and, and recollect it, load it. Uh, so I think that has something to do with how our mind works because the, the ears and the listening is probably our deepest sense. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have memory. Yes, we, we do have memory of... Um, smells, for example, mm-hmm. uh, but the easiest example to understand that I can make is that I lost, unfortunately, both my parents. Uh, but if I think of my mom, which died in two thousand and six, so fifteen years ago, I can hear her voice right in my head. So that's a memory that will always be with me. I can hear her voice calling me, uh, you know, right. and and that's that's really deep. It's connected to to who you are. It's connected into your soul. So when we transcribe, we try to connect our soul with that music, with that sound. Is is never the notes themselves right. you know there's so much more and this is probably one of the reasons why i decided to do this um podcast is 
in these times where everything is so visual, there is a real danger that we are all exposed to. You know, young students, they, they look at my hands and I hate it. You know, when I play, sometimes I, I give them examples and I do this. <laughs> right? Because I, I say, guys, there's no point. There's no point in using your eyes. You have two amazing things here and you are not using them. It's, it's a big waste, you know. So to me, it's very clear that music, it, it's here mainly. And I, with this podcast, I, I just genuinely try to encourage people to trust their ears a lot more. But, you know, now you it's want It's almost to... like a matter of absorption. Like transcription conjures the writing, the scripture, the... It's almost like, in a way, it's 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 a matter of really like absorb interior, like making yours something. It could, it could be again, it could be the way that that electric bass is played, or it could be the 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 the, the three ways of making the D on the saxophone, or it could be a phrase. But it, it isn't it isn't just the exercise of trying to put with the pen on a paper the value notes of what you're listening that is uh as you know it's like that 15 percent of what is going on and then there's all these other things yeah. uh, that really are are more uh and and try and 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 i guess the the exercise of trying with your own body to redo that to learn to it to to memorize the feeling of making that sound in a way because until you try it it's hard to really understand what that sound is yeah uh, when you absolutely and i guess the, 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 my desire sometimes to have done all these covers and and and, and learning instruments is a i guess some sort of subconscious way of try to enter within the songs that i love like yeah. oh my god what is uh how does he do that how why is that thing sounding that way and any until i do it it's it's it doesn't it, 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 I, can't, I don't know i remember when i was young 200 years ago um i just transcribed this thing uh i don't know if i can play anymore I think so which is the beautiful introduction to Overjoyed by Stevie Wonder uh -huh. you know and it took me I don't know a month to understand <laughs> what was going on and it's a you know, once you know it, you say, oh, yeah, sure. It's very simple, you know. Right? How it's sensitive. Yeah. But the fact that it's played, like, in the low octave. Right. And the fact that... Uh, it, it's not, you know, despite being almost a pop song, is not... Uh, too simple um, brought me a sense of joy. It's, it's like, you know, when 
I don't know, uh, the first man on, on, on the Everest. Um, right. It's really magic. It's like learning a trick. You know, like, in a way, it's yeah, like you've yeah. seen something that you like. It doesn't seem possible that you can make a person float, and then you realize how you make a person float. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm passionate about chess. That's my my second uh -huh. passion, and it's like when you learn a new trap, you know. Right, right. And of course, all the traps need the collaboration of of the opponent. But when it works, it's like being a baby. It's like, oh, you know, and it is, it's exactly that. I, I can look into, you know, inside that thing. I can see the, the, the toy from the inside. Oh, and it, it's the magic I mean, trick like, revealed. You know, you can, you, can, you can extend that to literally every area of life like the first time you make uh, whipped cream and you're like oh my god if i take cream and then i add uh, oxygen inside the cream it builds and now it has this amazing consistency so you make meringue or like yeah. any chemical reaction or uh, you learn how to build something with wood and you make a couple of things and then this thing is a thing made of wood that you made i make my own guitars and uh, and and basses and and drums and like uh, and just like oh Oh, the edge of the drum and then I can make this and then if I change that if I round it up a little bit it's warmer sounding but then I can change this and that I mean it's it, it goes it boils down to it like if you're curious everything from relationship to other people relationship uh, to women or men relationships to uh, to the chemicals of like food and uh, the <laughs> music and I mean everything is this feel where like oh my god how do they do that yeah so uh, I think our time is up uh, as I told you before Julio uh, has been a real pleasure before we go I uh, have one more duty and it's one question, which is the dumb question. So we have been talking about, you know, heights of music um, and some music royalties too. So I have to ask this question to bring the level <laughs> to a more, you know, mortal level. Uh, and the question is, what is your favorite solo that you have transcribed and why? I know. I know the answer is, says, oh, it's impossible to, to nominate one. But, you know, this is the game. And you have to say one. I, I will have to say that... <laughs> I hate those questions when journalists well, say, Who, it's just who's that your favorite you know saxophone that, uh, player? The mood of the day changes and your favorite song changes so that you have like a 20 yeah. packages. Uh, maybe I, I will say that still my... Uh, but I would have to remember the title of that song. My my dearest memory is still that Petrucciani first song that I transcribed because you can, it's like the first time you make love or the first kiss. Like you can never replace the stupor, the the awe of opening the Pandora's box the first time and realizing that this thing that was completely inaccessible and impossible, all of a sudden, like when at age 13, I sat down and I replayed 
this Petrucciani piece from start to end, and it sounded to my optimistic ears like the same thing, uh, it's hard to ever replicate the first time that that happens. Yeah. I could go through like a lot of like solos that are maybe more beautiful or even songs that have more of an impact musically on me. But emotionally, I don't know that there's ever been a thing. The first time that I realized those minor chords with the nines and the clusters and 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 I was and immediately I like I had to do it in every key and I had to play that voicing for like twelve hours all yeah. day every day. And you overdo it. And you overdo it for three months. And then yeah, you use it at every <laughs> jam session yeah. in every standard for until I'm twenty. <laughs> until nobody wants to play with you anymore. <laughs> until you are day intoxicated. <laughs> All right. Uh, so yeah, I, I think, uh, and I will do though, like a, a mention of honor to that to that Garberg solo on Prism. Yeah. Uh, on personal monster, just because I know it's really hard to find uh, that thing. In I mean, there, you know, there's millions of records, but that that solo, that moment on that song, uh, the, who knows? It it just it it just. It doesn't happen often that you would rather listen to how beautiful the solo is than the theme. And that the solo seems the theme and the theme seems like the intro to the, to the theme that is the solo. And when, and when, and when Garbrecht starts doing that, and Garbrecht honestly does it on a lot of tracks, but on that one, it's just like the wind. It's like when the the il the capo direttore siderale di fantozzi. There's this thing of like the vision of the the Holy Mary when 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 he when he does that, and the reverb and the the song is beautiful. But it just I don't know that that can be taught. I mean, <laughs> the the whole recording of Personal Mountains is in my probably top five list. Uh, there, there was one of those periods where I used to listen to that recording every day, every single day, and it's, I was there's touring. Everything. There's like a, there, there's like all the there's like a little blues, there's like a ballad, uh, there's like the free. But thing. even the first track, I mean, the first track is something that is to me is still un ununderstandable. How can a band play with that energy for like right. fifteen minutes? And, and not be boring. <laughs> and not be boring. And then they reach the end and they play this long coda, which is, you know, the calm after the storm. And it's like, I have died. You know, this right. is this is where I want to be once I die. The whole spectrum of human. Yeah. yeah, this is where I want to be. Once, once I'm gone, I want to be here because it's so peaceful that you know, this must be a good place to be for eternity. <laughs> Imagine having seen them during that tour, having seen like six, yeah. seven shows. Like, and we are very lucky because, as you know, the, that recording was published only like 12 years uh, after the it's tour. It's true, it was never released in vinyl. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, look, time is cruel, but um, uh, we need to go. And thanks so much, Julio, has been a real pleasure and brought me some good, good and nice memories to talk to you today. 
and we'll definitely keep in touch and I'll put all the links that you would like to share with our audience in the podcast description. So if you have a website or anything that you want to share with our audience will be there in the description. So thanks again a lot and goodbye to everyone. Talk soon.